Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Well, thanks for joining us today for the EquipCast. This is Father Jeff Lorig, and Jim Jansen is going to sit this one out today because I am up in Creighton, Nebraska, using uh, our little Creighton radio station here in Creighton, Nebraska, Knox County, and we wanted to get together with a friend of ours that works here in the diocese. His name is Father Cazito, and then he tells me that uh, we cannot pronounce his last name, so I've never learned it, so he just goes by Father Cazito. Father Cazito, it's great to be with you today to join the EquipCast. Thanks for taking some time off of your day off to be with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. The last name is Ohoya. Oh, that's not that hard. It's not really hard. Come on now. Well, you're the one who told us not to use it. Uh, Ahoya? Ahoya. Ahoya! Yeah, like La Hoya. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Excellent. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you because I know you have been on kind of a path of missional work, uh, not only back where you're from in Nigeria, but also right in Knox County, in uh, Bloomfield and Verdigree and Nyabrera, really just helping your parishes to think a little bit about the mission uh, a little bit more. But before we get into all that, could you just tell us a little bit about your journey, how, how you became a priest and pastor, and uh, this will be enlightening to all of us. I think most, most of us think, well, why is Father Cazito even with us? How did we get this guy? I mean, in a good sense. Uh, well, like originally I'm from Nigeria, and uh, my journey to the priesthood began from a little parish called St. Joseph Parish in Mina, spelled M-I-N-N-A, in Niger State, Nigeria. For some of you who have heard my story, I'm a convert. I wasn't really baptized until I was 14. And my parents joined the church, and I was part of that movement, so to speak. And then I got baptized and with some members of my family. And as soon as I got baptized and joined the church, this church was a very vibrant parish. So and looking back, it had a lot to do with my vocation, just little things here and there. But as soon as I got baptized, I got involved really in church. I was an altar server. That was exciting. There was a strong Catholic youth organization in my parish. I joined it. I was a member of the choir, a Legion of Mary, Sacred Heart organization. I was just part of a lot of these pious groups and uh, organizations in the church. I then I, I really ran into some vibrant young Catholics who were on fire for the Lord. This was probably about the time that Pentecostalism was becoming stronger in Nigeria. So it was a, a time that a lot of young Catholics was were learning about apologetics and just kind of learning about the faith, questions that Protestants and Pentecostals were raising. And so that got me really interested in the teachings of the church and why the church teaches the way it does and the scripture uh, reading the Bible, I really wanted to know the Bible, read the Bible, quote the Bible, and to be able to really respond to some of those questions that were being raised by non-Catholics. So uh, that was the beginning. Along the line, I ran into some seminarians that I saw, and I met and kind of liked them, and hung out with them, and uh, just right before I finished my high school, then I really started thinking about going to the seminary. But my parents were not that religious. 
when I got that call, when I started filling in, at first I didn't know who to share it with and if anybody would believe me. So I went to my pastor then who was an Irish priest. Uh, we had Irish missionaries in my diocese and one of them was my pastor, Father John Condon, I believe, at the time. And then I spoke with him about that. He guided me and told me about all the various religious orders and all that. Mm -hmm. And so, cut a long story short, I applied to become a seminarian in the Diocese of Mina. And then I was taken and sent to the seminary. At first, we went to, we did a, like an orientation for uh, a few months. And after which, we were sent to spiritual year. And then I did my philosophy and then completed my theology and was ordained a priest in 1996, September 14th. So I just, last week I turned 24 years ordained a priest. So it's been a great blessing. So that's kind of how, nothing dramatic, nothing spectacular about my call. It was just like so many factors, so many forces coming together. God was just kind of putting different people in my path and uh, just different things in my heart. And I was just with my little faith. I was 17 at a time. And mm. uh, with my little faith, I was just kind of, okay, God, I'm not too sure I know what I'm doing, but I truly believe that you're speaking with me because I could tell that I was excited about it. I was at peace with it. I was joyful about it. Because prior to discerning my call to become a priest, I always wanted to be a lawyer or I wanted to be a military officer. But once it became clear in my heart that I wanted to be a priest, all those other desires disappeared. I was just laser focused. And I remember when I told my dad, my dad was highly disappointed mm. that I was thinking about joining the seminary and becoming a priest. But that's my story. So in 1996, I was ordained. And then I walked in Nigeria and uh, some of the parishes in Nigeria, mostly in the rural parishes in Nigeria, and for about seven, eight years. And then I was feeling burnt out. So I had a conversation with my bishop and I said, hey, okay, I need to get out of parish ministry because I had some tough assignments and, and I needed to do something different. So uh, we agreed with my bishop that I'll that I will go to graduate school. So this began the journey to the United States. So in 2004, I came to the U.S. to go to graduate school. And then I was in San Diego at the time, and my destination was uh, John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family. Mm. That was my, my desire was to do something in the area of marriage and family because prior to coming to the U.S., I was the... The priest chair, call it that way, or the coordinator of marriage and family in my diocese. So I wanted to develop that that part because I had come to love the ministry. Mm -hmm. So I ended up here, um, but uh, something dramatic happened when I came here. Well, this story is getting longer, maybe boring, <laughs> but... Um, uh, there's you, all the kinds you, of these twists and turns you, of the story. Exactly. Kind of so I came, I came here... And uh, my destination was Washington, D.C. But so while I was in San Diego, one day my bishop called and said, hey, change of plans. I need you to go to Omaha. And I was like, what? Where's Omaha? Where is Omaha? <laughs> and he's like, okay, they need a priest there. And I need you to go there. And I said to my bishop, that's not a plan. That wasn't a plan. A plan was I was going to go to school. 
because I kind of didn't want to be in the parish at that time. But uh, I guess I didn't really realize that uh, God was calling me to be truly in a parish. Here was I, it was like the story of Jonah. I was trying to run away from the parish, mm-hmm. but God was calling me back to parish. Mm-hmm. What happened was that my bishop had met Archbishop Curtis at some point, and they had talked. And my bishop had offered that if Archbishop Curtis ever needed a priest, then he could reach out. So when, um, at that time, St. Thomas More and the associate pastor there took a leave of absence. So my understanding was that the Monsignor there, Monsignor Chido, needed an associate. So they reached out to my bishop. So my bishop said, well, it's going to take time to send a priest from Nigeria. But so guess what? I have another priest already in the U.S. So that was when the bishop made that call ask me to go to Omaha. So I ended up in Omaha, 2004, went to Creighton and did a graduate studies there. I was at St. Thomas More for six years. And then um, the rest is story. I've been here now for 16 years. 16 years. And let's see, how many years as a pastor out here in the rural Nebraska? Uh, this is beginning of my eighth year. Eighth year. Uh, so you were at uh, St. Wenceslaus in Verdigree, mm-hmm. St. Williams in Niobrara, and St. Andrews in Bloomfield. Yes. So I remember all that stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's good. I was yeah. Sort of, I thought I'd start that and I'd I'd mess it up. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so invert. So you were you originally started with Verdigree and uh, and Niobrara. And so that for eight years you've been doing that, and then recently you took on the the pastorate at uh, St. Andrews in Bloomfield. Mm -hmm. I did that for six years, and I think the beginning of my seventh year, I took on Bloomfield, Mm -hmm. and this is my eighth year now, and my second year with Bloomfield. Yeah, so if you stick around long enough, well, maybe we could give you Crofton and Creighton and... Um, O'Neill, the whole of Knox County, and uh, maybe uh, Antelope County, and, and uh, we'll give Holt. it to you Yeah, you can be the bishop of rural Nebraska. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome! <laughs> yeah, that makes me feel good. Pay, pay is the same though. I apologize. <laughs> no, so since you've been a pastor, so I, I was here in Creighton uh, with you and, and saw you enter in to your pastorate in, at Verdigree in, in Niobrara. As you've kind of been journeying along and learning, just like I've been learning. What's your sense of mission here? Like, what do you feel like has been your mission since coming out here to these parishes? You know, I, at first when I was appointed, I, I was just excited to be a pastor. I'd been a pastor in Nigeria, an associate in, uh, in the Archdiocese of Omaha, in the Omaha area for about nine years. I wanted to have an experience of what, what it is like to be a pastor in rural Nebraska. And so maybe there was some selfishness about that because I kind of wanted to have an experience of the entire archdiocese. It felt like my experience was not complete and I wanted more. I wanted an adventure. Mm -hmm. So when I was sent here, obviously, I think my pastoral context is missional Mm -hmm. in so many ways. I, I I love adventures. I love the mission thing. Again, the influence of the Irish priest in my diocese, I must say. Uh, when I thought about becoming a priest, one of the things that I always thought was, you know, that whole passage where where, where Jesus sent out the 72 mm-hmm. and told them to go preach, go proclaim, to heal, and to cast out demons. That's my thing. Like, you know what? I really want to go out. And so coming out to rural Nebraska was exciting. And I came and... Um, 
I just came to run a parish. Okay, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm just going to do what pastors do, okay? You preach, you celebrate mass, uh, you engage the people. If there are some projects, you take care of the projects, you maintain the facility, and uh, you make sure the programs, that your religious ed program was going and all that. And, you know, I've been an associate at St. Thomas More and St. Wenceslas. I had learned a little bit just watching what other priests do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, I can't remember exactly the year, but it was in 2012, I attended the Good Shepherd Good Leaders, Good Shepherd, yeah. our program. It's a two-year program on pastoral leadership. And that kind of really opened my mind and basically changed, really, the way I understand pastoral life. Mm. That leadership is such an important part of pastoral life. And then I started learning that, you know, it's not just being a pastor. you got to be a leader. And, and, you know, a pastor is a leader, but sometimes you got to have both. you got to be like a pastor. Yes, you have the charism to take care of the people of God, but also you got to be a leader, a leader, somebody with vision, with a sense of mission that kind of um, points the way to your parishioners as to, okay, this is where we're going to go. Uh, when I was sent to Verdigree, Nobody gave me that. I didn't know, like, okay, you're going to be a pastor of this place. I had to figure out, okay, I'm not going to be here six years not knowing where I want my parishioners to go or where I want to go. I cannot just, as we say, uh, uh, be shooting out from my hip or what do you call <laughs> yeah. it, you know? Shooting from the hip. Yeah, yeah shooting from the hip or yeah. something like that. So there got to be sense of direction and urgency and mission and vision. Yeah, so... That's probably what I've been learning during these past uh, seven, eight years, how to do that the best. So what does it mean to you to be a missional leader? To be a missional leader really is to be discipleship focused. Mm. That's what it means for me, the way I've come to understand it, is to be discipleship focused. And, and the more I read about it, like, you know, sometimes we're appointed to be pastors, sometimes you're like a CEO, you celebrate mass, it's almost like a sacramental machine. And uh, you 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 run projects, and all that is great, but the mandate of a pastor is to raise disciples. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the biggest mandate of a pastor to raise disciples. And it dawned on me that I knew how to preach a little bit, but I didn't know how to make disciples. I had to even question if I'm a disciple. Mm-hmm. You know, so to be missional leader, pastor is to be disciple focused. And, and first, it begins with just kind of again, like that whole reflection and thinking uh, in terms of identity that I'm not just a pastor, I am a disciple too. A disciple maker. I, I'm a disciple, a disciple maker. But first, I have to be in touch with my own discipleship. Mm-hmm. I, and I have to be convinced about my discipleship. So when it comes to being a, a pastor and being a missional pastor, it's really taking the Great Commission to heart. If I'm going to be a pastor and I'm, if I'm going to be called by Jesus to go and make disciples, then that's my primary duty. You know, yes, I have to make sure the toilets are flushing and I have to make sure the roof's not leaking and, and the religious ed program is happening and making sure that people get sacraments. But at the end of the day, if I'm not making disciples, 
I'm failing as as a as a mm-hmm. missional leader, as, mm-hmm. as really a, a missional pastor. Yes, and uh, making disciples is not as easy as we think, you know. Yeah, how's it going? I, oh, <laughs> praise God! I mean, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's not an easy thing. So, how do you do it differently? So, what is different about how a missional leader thinks and and behaves? So. How, how, what are you exactly are you practically doing differently than maybe you did before what you thought you were going to do before? I think a lot in terms of how I preach, the way I preach has changed a lot. Mm. The emphasis and just the way I preach has changed a lot. I mean, my homily has not gotten shorter. Well, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in terms of how I preached, what message I want people to get, and where I'm pointing people, like almost like a constant reminder of just honing on that concept of discipleship. Because I think that a lot of us Catholics, we have heard enough about being members of the church. Because we think about it, when we are baptized, we are told that baptism makes us members of the church. Mm-hmm. Only a few times do we hear people say baptism makes us disciples or calls us to be disciples. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's emphasizing that, you know, and then also learning to share my own journey. You know, sometimes my weaknesses, my my strengths, my, my struggles. So that, again, letting the people realize that, look, this is a journey, not of perfection, but this is a journey of growth. Like God calls us to grow. God wants to really reveal his love to us, transform our hearts so that we can become like him. And just in the way we interact with people, in the way we use our gifts, because if we do not understand that and not accept our disciples, discipleship, the way we use our gifts and how we interact with people might not be fruitful, might not be focused might not be leading people to Jesus mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, that's what I want to do. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want to point people to Jesus, whether it's in my preaching, in my interactions. So now when I'm doing ministry, whether I'm just working with couples who are experiencing loss or I am praying with somebody, it's all about that discipleship. Mm-hmm. So it's very intentional the way I talk about discipleship and the way I kind of um, tell people what discipleship is in terms of following Jesus, making commitment for for Jesus, being convinced about the message of the gospel, and just preaching it with confidence, uh, but also with humility, with confidence, but with humility, knowing that it's all the work of the Holy Spirit. In your preaching and your interactions with others, you're taking people back to what the core concept of discipleship is is a, a decision to follow Jesus, always taking them back and, and renewing that daily. And it's always all about Jesus. Like you can, I'm sure you give some moral homilies and some, you know, we need to do a better job at tithing, blah, 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 all the, all the typical things that we talked about with people. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about Jesus, right? He's, he's the, he's the focus. He's the right? so yeah. It's making a decision for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you talked a little bit about gifts and living those out and using those, so I know you're familiar, you've really studied the virtues in your life and how you might use those in, in the pastoral ministry that, that you use. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What are the particular virtues and habits 
of a missional leader? You know, um, yes, I have been doing some extensive reading lately about pastoral leadership and ministry. And I am like, okay, this is how it came to me. It's like I am a priest. It's just like being a medical doctor. And I just feel like if I'm a priest, I want to be really super good at what I do. I have that desire. Whether I get there, I don't know. But it began with that desire. Like I really wanted to know everything about this part of my life. Mm. Uh, because it's just like, well, it's not a career. But as priests, we are considered professionals, right? We're considered professionals in a sense. You should be so, good at it. Yeah, we should be good at it. <laughs> you should have the knowledge and the skills. So that has begun my journey, like just being curious, like, okay, what do I need to do to be really good at being a leader, a pastor? And so I've been doing a lot of studies. And I think that the big thing for me is like, you go through a process of conversion. Mm. Some conversion really has to happen to be a missional pastor or leader. And for me, it's that realization that, and that honest look into myself like, oh, I've been screwing up. <laughs> Thank God. How many people have I screwed up? You know, it's like, I've been screwing up. And maybe people have not noticed. But the more I read about pastoral ministry and the role of pastor, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could do a lot better. The conversion, just like any other conversion, was a, a repentance of past mistakes. Yeah, past, past mistakes, like things that I never do. Okay, because, like, you know, you think about yourself as a pastor, right? You think about, okay, the canon law gives you all these powers, right? Mm -hmm. And the diocese has all these laws and all these that kind of clarify things for you, what to do, what you cannot do. Yeah. And I started thinking, gosh, so how about if uh, the priest is called to holiness, if the calling of the priest, at the heart of the calling of the priest is the, the call to holiness, how does the priest bring his holiness, that invitation to holiness, into his pastoral roles, into his pastoral ministry, whether it's in the act of governance, in the act of teaching, in the act of sanctifying? How does the priest bring the core of that calling to holiness? What does that mean? And I discovered that the call to holiness is all about virtue. It's about living the virtuous life. Mm. The call to discipleship is about living the virtuous life. And I discovered that, guys, if I'm going to be a pastor, I cannot just be operating. I've got to be guided and led, not just by certain rules and laws and policies and all that. There's got to be some virtues that guide my actions, that directs my thoughts and my relationship and the dynamics of pastoral ministry. So as I listen to brothers some brothers that we have been journeying with uh, in the archdiocese who are doing some of the things that I am trying to do in my parish. The more I listen to their story, I started like, there got to be a spirituality. There got to be a spirituality for missional leadership. Mm. There got to be some virtues, and that's where the virtues come in. Okay. Okay? Because virtues are dispositions. They are habits, obviously, of grace. And they help us, those virtues help us really become effective and become fruitful in our roles and in our ministries. And so uh, for the way I see it from my own studies and from my own reflection, one of the virtues that for me and for anybody thinking of becoming a missional leader or a pastoral leader is faith. Faith got to be critical. Each time I listen to brother priests who have shared their journey, it's like 
that praise, that faith, just believe it that this is what God is calling me to do. That I am convinced beyond reasonable doubt that God is calling me not only to be a disciple, but to make other people disciples. So let's make sure that we emphasize, because I can imagine some people are thinking, well, of course, of course you should have faith, but you're talking about like, I am convinced. There's a deep conviction that propels everything that you do. Yes. And that conviction begins from my own being convicted yeah. because I knew that I, you know what, I could do better, that I'm screwing up, that I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it. Because as, when you are made a pastor or a priest, sometimes you are told the what and the who you are in terms of identity, you are a priest and, and all that, the what, what you're supposed to be doing in a parish. But sometimes what nobody tells you is the how and the why. Mm-hmm. So over the years, I've learned to have to learn the how and the why. And not just kind of ride on my own little authority and power and feel like, <laughs> okay, I got it all, I can do it. The canon law says this and all that. But it's like the how and the why. You know, this is where the conversion is. I had to be convinced, like, I'm not doing the how very well. You know, and even the why, I'm just almost like, uh, being bullish sometimes mm-hmm. with people, with my approach and all that. Like, I'm not even listening. I'm not even convincing people. I just feel like people need to just do it because Father said they should do it. Why are and, they you doing know, it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why they're doing it? I'm not. So I'm paying more attention to that. But faith, when I talk about faith, it's also prayer. Mm-hmm. It's also prayer. I listen to a lot of praise, and I know that I had to pray a lot. I had to pray during this journey and even just saying, God, do you want me to be here? Mm-hmm. Do you want, is this what you want me to do? And will you give me the grace to be able to do this? And to say, God, I don't even know how to do this. I don't know how to do it. So prayer, a lot of prayer happens. And then it's also trusting. Faith has to do with trust. You trust that, okay, this is not my work. This is the work of Jesus. He's going to guide me. He's going to lead me. I got to trust. I got to trust Jesus. And with that trust, also uh, connection with faith is courage. The courage to act and to go the direction that you feel like God is calling you to go with your parishioners, with your life, with your decisions, is the courage. Because sometimes I hear it, but I don't have the courage to do it. Let's get practical. And Can you share some of the moments when you had to be a little bit more courageous than normal? <laughs> okay. I, for example, I um, when we started Alpha. Mm. You do Alpha in We do Alpha in Vertigree. We okay. have done at least um, when a third or fourth session of Alpha. Actually, in October, we're going to be doing Alpha online. Let's make sure that everybody knows what Vertigree is. Yeah. <laughs> Vertigree is a small town in Knox County. What's the population? Now? About 600 people. 600 in the parish of St. Wenceslas has maybe a mass attendance of 100? Yes, they're about consistently. About 100 a week Average. pre-COVID, yeah. obviously. Maybe yeah. things are different. Beautiful church if you're ever in this area. It's, it's really, those of you who are listening from Omaha, this is the prettiest part of Nebraska, or at least the prettiest part of our diocese here in northeast Nebraska, Knox County, parts of uh, Cedar County as well. But So Verdigree is kind of, t- it's nestled within a valley, and it's a tiny little parish, and yeah, 100 people coming to Mass on the weekend. I think maybe families would be around 200, somewhere around there. Total 200 families. I can't remember off the top of my head. In the parish? Yeah. Mean? 
It's about 150 families. About 150 families. So registered, I mean. Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you when I was the pastor here in Creighton, I had studied Alpha, and I thought, oh, I'd really like to do that someday when I'm in a bigger city. It will never fly here, but you're doing it. Yes. So tell me about this courageous leap. So I heard about uh, Alpha uh, training. So I went to Alpha training myself okay. in Omaha. And when I attended the Alpha training, I, I came back and I was convinced about Alpha, how simple but profound Alpha is. And I thought, you know, a lot of our Catholic members, a lot of them, that's kind of where they are and what they need to hear. Just a basic, like a reminder to stir up the hearts again, what they have probably learned so many years ago that probably is going cold in their heart, mm -hmm. that Alpha has a way of awakening hearts, getting people to think, and re-energizing people spiritually. So I went to Alpha, and I've obviously, it must have touched me. And that's very, very important. This is where the conviction comes about. Mm -hmm. So Alpha touched me, and I went back, and I spoke with one of my parishioners, and I said, hey, I went to Alpha. I liked it. Will you consider going to Alpha training? And she said yes. That is Zoe Vakach. So she went to the training. Zoe Vakach. 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 Uh, so, yeah, you should also know yeah. there's just a bunch of uh, Bohemians. Bohemians, there. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Zoe went and she liked it. Then we came back. We said, we're going to do Alpha. So we started talking. And at first, it was like, hmm, how many people are going to come? I'm like, okay, well, guess what we're going to do? First, we're going to run it for parish council members mm. and for finance council members. Anybody in the leadership who is wanting to come, let them come. So we did that. It was a great review, great experience, loved it. I said, okay, how about if we just open it to our parishioners? And then we opened it to our parishioners and people came. Uh, we were not expecting, we were surprised. Our first meeting, like we had over 40, 50 people come to the first oh. half, like, Wow, this is really great. And then, so we opened it up to the other churches and the rest of the story. And it's one of the success stories for our parish. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not there yet. Let me make that. We're not, <laughs> we're not there yet. We're Dis still learning. Disclaimer, okay? yeah. We're not there yet. But, you know, and, but good things are happening. Lives have been changed. Attitudes have been changed. People are modifying the kind of the way they think about faith and how they live it in a very conscious and intentional way. It's just because they went through Alpha. And I praise God for that. And the last Alpha, this is the good news. Because when I went started Alpha, some people are like, oh, well, how many people are going to come? What do we want to do? Do we want to get everybody to come back to church? No. If people come back to church, fine, great. Right? We just want to sow the seed of God's love. Introduce people to Jesus, so to speak. Amen. People who have not heard about Jesus. Alpha does that in a very wonderful way. I, say, I said, well, if somebody gets converted, praise God. The person doesn't have to really be Catholic. As long as they get converted, if they, if they decide to be Methodist or Lutherans, hey, praise God. They know Jesus, right? And so that's the ecumenical part of Alpha. So we did that, and this past year, to the praise of glory, I'm not going to mention the name of the person. We had the lady who attended Alpha, and she accepted the words of Jesus and everything. Mm -hmm. She accepted to be baptized, and she joined the Methodist Church. Amen. And I was like, praise God. I wish she became a Catholic, but <laughs> hey, praise God. She finds a place in the Methodist Church. So 
that's one of the really great stories. Oh, about that's cool. That. Yeah. And uh, the Methodist Church is just down the hill from, from the Catholic Church. And right? we do a lot. We do a lot. We, we do a lot of stuff with the Methodist Church. Right. But you still don't make kolaches together. We don't make kolaches together. No. Yeah. That's. Or there's still an ecumenical council that needs to happen to make for for that the collaboration to happen. Uh, oh, that's awesome! Um, how important was it for you to invite your leaders to do it first? I needed a buy-in. It was so important. If I couldn't convince my leaders, I couldn't. If it was going to be too much of a battle, when I say that, I was not just being clever and smart. I really wanted what I experienced at Alpha. The, the joy that I had, everything I heard, I wanted my leaders to share in that. Mm-hmm. I really wanted them. So uh, that was huge for me. Let's get in some practical advice here. What would you recommend as a first step for someone who feels this call to become missional? I would come back again at some point um, to the, the, the virtues. The virtues. Did I skip over the virtues? Yeah, we, we have. I got like six what I six practices of virtues, I think, for pastoral leaders. So I think that maybe some other time we can do that. But I will answer your your question. Let's go. Let's hear the virtues. We, we heard faith and courage. So I no actually faith. Courage is part of faith. Okay. So I, I then I have discernment. Discernment. Discernment, okay. really. And part of discernment for me is like, what is God doing right now in our midst? You ask the question, right? Like I had to ask myself, okay, what is God doing in our midst? Because sometimes the pastor is too preoccupied with other things and I'm blind to certain things. Certain things that God is putting before me, but because I'm not thinking in terms of discipleship, I can't see those things. So it's like, what is God doing? But also what is God doing in our community? And how are we really responding as a community? And then how does God want us to respond? You know, so I had a parish, um, what do you call it? A session where I just kind of ask our parishioners, what do you think is happening in our parish? Kind of a listening session. Like a listening session. A discernment session. A discernment, yes. And for me, that was huge. To know what was the desires, what is the heart of the parish, what is their hopes, what are their dreams, what what are they even... You, you, I don't want to say whining about, but <laughs> what is it that they are longing for? Yeah, what did you what, hear? What well, I'm I, we heard a lot. Like our parish is not visible in the community. Mm. You know, something like that, which was very painful for yeah. me to hear as a pastor. And like, okay, we don't have, uh, we're not meeting people and their needs where they are spiritually, you know. So we went to work with my leadership team and, Again, we started, and Alpha was just the first step mm-hmm. to just opening other doors and where we want to go. Yeah. So discernment is very, very critical, asking those important questions, but also patience. Patience. When I've you're heard do- of that. When you are doing, I'm not the most patient person, <laughs> trust me, but when you are doing the work of God, discipleship, you just have to be patient and just realize that what you have to submit to God's will every day. And that happens a lot of times in prayer. Sometimes when you meet frustrations and roadblocks and criticism and all that, you have to be patient. Sometimes the fruitfulness you expect might not come immediately and may feel like you're wasting your time. And there are times that I have felt like really a little depressed Mm -hmm. and discouraged. But thank God I had members of my leadership team. I can talk. I can verbalize that. I can share that with them. But patience is very, very critical. Um, But also uh, humility, you know. We are living more in a generation where it's like, you don't go into the parish if you want to be a mission leader where you kind of feel like, okay, I'm a pastor, I have power. 
uh, you got to respect what I say and all that. Now you have to earn it. And the way you earn it is by humble service, mm-hmm. is by being present, is by being honest, the integrity of your life, and just being convinced. When people see that, people will gradually begin to believe in what you're doing. So humility to realize that, hey, uh, you don't have all the answers. And people, your position needs to know that you are also seeking you're also journeying with them that you don't have the answer. Then you can you can lean on them, mm-hmm. and it's okay. So yes. I found that really useful. Yeah. So humility yeah. is not just a, a good thing to practice because it's required of our faith, but it's also a key leadership strategy, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you look at that in the life of Jesus. Jesus was a servant leader, mm-hmm. and because he served, people were drawn to him. And I think sometimes if we ask ourselves why am why are things not happening here in this parish like why like i'm being patient you know i'm, I'm trying to be courageous and and then if i i might need to someday ask myself maybe i'm not humble uh maybe maybe i need to practice a little more humility and just really get low with the lord and say lord you're going to have to do all this work here and and then also and when people begin to see that that you're you don't really know what you're doing either, but you know the Lord has a desire and he has a desire for his people. And then people are attracted to that. Yeah, because there's no ego. Discipleship. If you're going to do the work of discipleship, you can't have an ego because you'll be disappointed. Yeah. You'll be heartbroken. There cannot be ego with this. And I, I have learned it. I have learned it because, you know, um, sometimes you just feel like... Um, you know everything. You're coming like you know. You got all the theology. You got all the knowledge, but you just don't know it. And if sometimes uh, you just have to really be honest about that and say, "Listen, um, I don't know it," and just to turn to God. So it's very important. But also, I love. You can be a missionary leader without loving. That I just what did. is this love thing you refer to? This love thing <laughs> that I'm talking about is just you know what, being able to love people that are unlovable that. In parentheses, open and close, right? Yeah. People that, you know, when God, when I went to North County, I remember my first Sunday there, I said to the people, I said, look, I'm here to stay and I'm going to love you <laughs> until you start loving me back. And I have experienced a lot of love. My parishioners understand that I love them too. Mm-hmm. At least I can say that. Now, there are some people who probably think differently about some of the things I do, disagree with some of the things I do, but there's that love. So when you are going, being a missionary, like if I had to come to the United States, I got to love the people in the U.S. I got to love the culture. Not everything about the culture, but you can go and minister or talk to people, evangelize if you're not loving them, mm-hmm. if you're not accepting them in spite of their weaknesses and brokenness. So I had to kind of, I come from Nigeria. The culture is not the same, but oftentimes out of love, I got to keep my culture aside mm-hmm. and just respect the people. You got to love their, their way of life. I, You know, I, I'm, I'm never a farm boy. I never grew up in a farm. I grew up in a small city, but I never considered myself. I love the farm. I love the rural areas. I love the country. Yeah. I've had, even Nigeria, I worked in some of the remotest places. So, But you got to love the lifestyle, the simplicity, the humility of the people. Mm-hmm. You just got to trust the people. It's all part of loving, you know? And I had to learn that a lot. I had to grow. Uh, I really had to grow a lot in that regard uh, during these past years. But another virtue is prudence. Prudence has to do with judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Right thinking, right? Yeah, good judgment. Good. good judgment, right? 
and I and I just think that uh, sometimes the judgment is how you manage the people around you. You gotta have a good judgment of the people that are around you. You know how you manage them, but also how, how, how you encourage. Them, how do you encourage them? How do you discipline them at times? Exactly, and part of that is again this part of love too. You gotta learn to forgive your parishioners. You gotta learn to just forgive. You're gonna have to be compassionate, to be empathetic, and not not take things too personal. You know, and part of prudence too, really, that I have found are useful is how to even sometimes help our parishioners to know how to manage the financial resources of the parish, because sometimes where are we spending our money? Oftentimes we let money drive our mission instead of allowing the mission to drive money. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like we're spending our money on these big projects, but we're spending very little or nothing in evangelization, in outreach, in discipleship. And when I made a decision to go with Alpha, I said, listen, my commitment was out. I told the parish council, the finance council, we would spend whatever money we need to spend. If you spend 60000 to put a roof in a church, guess what? If we're not discipling people, and that church will be a museum, nobody will come. So if I spend sixty thousand putting a new roof, I am willing to spend sixty thousand for evangelization if I have the fund. And I and I talk talk my parish council, finance council. So is that prudence, kind of like making those judgment and just managing the gifts of uh, people around you and um, the, the resources, both human and financial resources. Yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of my reference to what I mean by prudence. Yeah. There. Making good decisions, you know? yeah. Making good, yeah. And then I think that those are the gift. Those are the the virtues that I found. So is faith, is discernment, is presence. Oh, they didn't talk about presence. Presence, you know, there's something I call the witness of presence. In the midst of all this, sometimes there are times that you're gonna have a special leadership team or something. You are gonna have like tension. As a priest, you gotta be the calm presence there. The one that says everything's going to be okay. The one that says okay, peace be with you. The one that is always constant, that you are there with the people. That they know that, yes, you're roughing it up with them, but also they know that what? You're not going to abandon them in the middle of the bridge. That presence reassures people. And sometimes people want that stability and want that presence. And so uh, those are the virtues again. Um, we could spend some more time on it, but I, uh, it's faith, it's discernment, it's presence. Is patience, is humility, is love, and is prudence. Very good. So about six or seven of those. Yeah. I have. I think I. I'm not. I'm still learning about those virtues and how I apply them every day in my ministry and leadership. But and the, the virtues could be more than that. But I think that these are the ones that I say they are like almost like non-negotiable virtues yeah. for missional leadership. Then when are you going to write your book? Not got nothing to write. <laughs> So you can't pick this book up. You're just going to have to tour out to uh, uh, Verdigree, Nebraska, or Bloomfield, or Niobra, and take a little vacation from wherever you're at and come hang out. Yes. Because it's basically you and no one else. Nobody else is up there preaching, right? So it's just Father Cazito. And so you're guaranteed to get a good long homily when you go out there and visit. Amen. (laughs) Um, Just uh, how would somebody really begin? What would be some first steps that you would recommend? And I also think it's good to keep this in the context of just being a pastoral leader, a missional leader, not just a pastor, 
we have a few pastors that listen, but really we have a lot of people, a lot of lay people listening to this. And I've been translating everything as you talk about, I'm like, oh yeah, this would totally apply to a lay person in the parish as well. All these virtues are applicable to not just somebody who has the office of pastor, but somebody that might be a DRE or a, yep. uh, on the leadership team or director of evangelization or mm-hmm. youth minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where would somebody start? What do you, what do you recommend? What are the, some of the first steps? Like there's an uncomfortable feeling of, I, I think I could do better. Where would somebody start? I think for me, I'm not an expert in this area. So this is what I say from my experience. It begins by just some critical self-examination of what you are doing currently or what you are not doing. Just being honest about that. Just critically examining ministry. And that happens when you have an open heart. Yeah. And uh, the desire, it begins with the desire to want to be a disciple and to want to be a disciple maker. So desire yeah. that then opens your heart to critically examine what you are doing and what you're not doing and to open yourself to reading. Yeah, do you have any recommendations? Oh, that? well, there's a book that I found really helpful. It's written by um, Father, um, it's a priest uh, written by, I think his name is Guler. He's a theologian. Okay. But he wrote a book on the spirituality of pastoral ministry. Okay. You know, I found that book helpful. I, I love his writings. We will have Whitney but, Bradley uh, so, figure that out and put a link in our show notes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have learned a lot from Father James Marlin's book also mm-hmm. because I went to Canada and I read that book. And so Father James Marlin is one of my, uh, yep. uh, one of the guys and, uh, that I really so, appreciate. Divine but Renovation. Divine Renovation, Father James Marlin. But Guler, when I read Guler's book on pastoral ministry, I was like blown away. Oh, okay. And that's completely, I mean, very. he offers really practical advice. I mean, he really deals with the challenges of pastoral ministry and all that. That really has impacted me a lot. And, and I like to go back to him. And he writes a lot about the virtues too because I think he's a virtue ethicist and a pastoral theologian. Great. Any final comments? I know we have a few more questions on our list here, but just for the sake of time, like of all the things that you've uh, spoken about or maybe things you haven't had a chance to say yet, do you have any final thoughts or comments you'd like to share? I My final comments, I'm just grateful to all the amazing lay people out there who are doing great things to help their priests. Mm. That's huge. It's really one of the things that um, you say, where do you begin? Once you are convinced and convicted about this discipleship thing, you just need to look for people who share the same. You may have a desire to change the world, but you can begin sometimes with people who are complacent. That might not be a good place to begin. <laughs> yeah, You're going to look for people who have some fire, who's, mm-hmm. you can you can tell. You can tell in your parish, you can tell people that you can tell God is moving their heart. Maybe they're not even saying it. Maybe they don't know where to go. All you need to do is to approach them and, and to point it out and just approach them. Yeah. I, you know, and, and for me, that's what has happened. And I, I know that there are a lot of lay people who are doing great things, who want to do great things. But some of them, sometimes some of them have spent a lot of energy Sometimes doing certain things that has not borne much result and fruitfulness. 
and those people need to be encouraged and by their pastors. Those people need to be renewed by their pastors. Those people need some kind of a, a new vision, a new direction that can excite them, that that can help them grow. Then they can see how they can start helping other people grow. So I, I am grateful to those lay people. I can just tell you that in my life as a priest, I have been, and I say this with seriousness too and honesty, that I have been more inspired but some of the amazing lay people out there, more than sometimes by priests. Because when I see the sacrifices that lay people are doing and in trying to live the Christian life and to make disciples and they're committed to it and, and you know, with, with being married, having job, having children, I'm like, what the heck? I, don't, I, I got no wife, no children. This is what I am, this is what I'm called to do. So it's like that fires me up. So I just want to give a huge shout out to all the amazing lay people. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't be discouraged. <laughs> hey, the harvest is rich, right? The, this is the time. This is, uh, you know, with all the crazy stuff happening in America, this is a time to be a Catholic. This is a time to be a disciple. This is a time to be to go out and not to be discouraged by the rejection, the persecution, and sometimes the pushback you experience there. Hey, hang in there. This is the right time. <laughs> We're born in the right generation, okay? Amen. Those are good final thoughts from a man who has positivity in his top five. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you so much, Father Kazid. It's always fun to be with you, and uh, I've always uh, enjoyed the friendship and, and miss you. Uh, miss being able to kind of hang out with you and tease you and enjoy the, the teasing relationship that we have as brother, yeah. brother priests here. I mean, we miss you around here too, but yeah. thank you for all your good work you started. I must say this, I, now that I, you know, Father Jeff Lorig has inspired <laughs> me too. I gotta I gotta give it to him. Uh, just being here, uh, I know that I'm older than him in the priesthood, but that's, this is where the humility comes, right? And then Father has shared things with me, even the divine renovation, he got me going on that. It's just suggestion we will share things and i think that i just want to thank him just put it out there you have been amazing oh, thank, thank you. you for all the good stuff you're doing too you know. appreciate it and that's why we had this interview so you could say that <laughs> <laughs> now you got it all right thanks everybody for listening this has been another equip cast with the archdiocese of omaha and uh check out the show notes at equip.archomaha.org whitney will be uh, putting all kinds of the uh, the links and good information that Father shared today. And make sure you share this with your friends, especially those who are working in the vineyard and maybe they're f- feeling some discouragement or just not sure where to take the next step. Father Gazito is, is so positive and so uh, encouraging. This might be a good podcast to start with. God bless and, and, and have a, a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.